So are we on? Because I've been recording for the last 10 minutes. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I figured, well, I figured you'd already said that, you know, anything that happened the moment we established a connection here was fair game that eventually you were going to try to do something. <laughs> the only question was whether or not it was behind the scenes worthy or not. <laughs> Hi, Evan. Hi, Marcel. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You have been rip-roaring around the world again. Yeah. Do you, do you have a, do you like these, you just don't like this place? Like, you know, you just, what's going on here? Yeah, it's one of my dreams to spend my entire life spending spending my life in this moving cigar, 16 hours at a time, jammed into a seat with with nothing but uh, but overcooked rice congee, uh, ramen ramen cups, and a really weird selection of movies. So so basically, you're living the dream, is what you're telling me. Some people's <laughs> dreams, some people's nightmare. <laughs> There's something weird about, and, and the time zone stuff really gets you. Yes. You're coming back from Asia. You leave Hong Kong like at four o'clock in the afternoon. You spend 15 hours plus on this plane and you land like an hour after you left. It's like time that, travel. How does that not discombobulate you? Well, it does. It does. But, you know, if you, time travel, you know, it's. Yeah. So what did you watch on the plane this time? Usually you're watching something interesting. We usually discuss what you've watched on the plane. What have you watched on the plane this time? Well, yeah, Air Canada has this wonder. It actually has a really, really good mix. And because they fly all over the place, they've got a whole selection that they call world stuff, which includes Bollywood. It includes Chinese action movies. It includes korean dramas it, it's all sorts of weird stuff and so i love to take the opportunity of if i'm going to be hostage on this plane for 16 hours i know i'm not going to be able to sleep for all of it so i'll try and see some weird combinations and i've discovered some really really good chinese action movies i've discovered some really really good bollywood this time though i went totally off campus and went to wonderful piece of Americana. Yes. Reminded me of growing up with my kids. The Dora, Exp Dora the Explorer. Yes. The live action version of it. <laughs> so it is actually called Dora, the Dora and the Lost City of Gold. So I imagine they anticipate making this a franchise. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I went, you just, just, I, I, I went and had a look at the trailer for that. I actually saw the trailer for that, but, um, but, it looks like a lot of fun, is it? it? It is fun. And it sort of makes fun of itself. Like every now and then, Dora will look at the, at the camera and say, <laughs> you, know, you know, can, can you say hola? And everyone else is staring at her and saying, you know, who are you talking to? <laughs> and uh, it's, it's fun. There's even, and I, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, there's even a, a mildly drug-induced scene in the middle where they actually become their animated selves oh cool cool nice nice so how did they do swiper how did they do swiper there must be a swiper right swiper is a cgi fox nice and the monkey is a cgi monkey 
Boots. We've got Boots. Does he talk? Yes. Boot, 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 sorry, you got the name. So Boot, yeah. Of course boot. I've got the name. I have, I, have, I have kids. I've watched Dora the Explorer. So Boots is CGI. Yeah. Fox is CGI. And I think I recall, the, you know, even the map gets animated. But it, the, <laughs> actually, the map actually plays a little bit role. So, yeah. Okay, I need to ask one other question. Is Diego in it? Oh, hell yes. Oh! Not, not only that. But uh, he's, you know, he's, he's eye candy for the ladies. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, you showed me this college humor trailer that I guess was done sometime in the past where they envisioned what would Dora be like if she was a real kick-ass, yes. gun-fu-wielding, gun-toting, kick-ass. Uh, what, what did you think of that trailer? I thought it was wonderful, but I think the actual, the actual real movie is almost as good without the guns and the kung fu moves. So you've got your explosions, you've got your you've you've got your Diego as a hunk, you've got, you know, and 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 you've got Dora staring at the screen, you know, yes. doing the shtick. It's wonderful. I think actually the movie has done a reasonable job of appealing to kids while giving the adults something that's not taking itself too seriously, which to me all kid stuff is at its best when the adults can watch it and get a kick out of it too. That's what oh, I mean. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, so, well, so many of these shows nowadays, so many of these kids shows have got stuff like sort of buried just below the level of what kids are going to catch, which is aimed squarely at the adults who are sitting there with their kids watching it so that the adults can, you know, can have a laugh here and there while they're watching this show that would otherwise be completely uninteresting to them. But th this particular one, the college humor thing, I mean, I sent you that link and I'll include it in the show notes because it's, Everybody needs to see this one. It's fantastic. But there's another one. Side by side. So we'll have both the college humor one and we'll have the real. All right, I'll include that. Yeah, I'll include the trailer for the Lost City of Gold as well. So side by side. Well. And, and take a look. Boots as the live action monkey in the college humor trailer versus Boots as the <laughs> CGI monkey. And they're not that different. The only difference is Swiper is a human in the college humor trailer. Yes, Swiper is actually a CGI fox in the real one. Well, you know what? I'm going to go out of my way to watch Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I sent you a trailer for another movie that desperately needs to be made, like desperately needs to be made. And it's a spoof on, um, it's, it's a fan-made trailer for a movie that doesn't exist for the Magic School Bus. Did you watch that one? Not yet. Oh, I'm going to, but you know, they remade that also. I think that's a Netflix thing. They've actually brought that back too. No, but no, but it's animated. It's just, it's an updated animated version. No, they need to do it like they did in this trailer. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm going to cut this out of the con. Like I'm just, cause you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it, but you're going to watch it right now. Okay. And we're going to discuss it, discuss it immediately after you've watched it. All right. All, All right. right. So for the next two minutes, I'm going to cut this out of the, of the actual podcast because I don't want to give anything away, but you need to watch it so we can discuss this because this is important. Okay. Did you, so, watch the, did you watch the Magic School Bus at all with your kids? Not that much, but, but since you've paused things, I'm going to make you watch something. Okay. Okay. So all hold right. on. Uh,
<sighs> so I'm a massive fan of the show Adam Ruins Everything. So this actually is a series, and there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of these, like a slew of them, and a lot of it is like bullshit popping and myth and myth busting and things like that. But this one, because it used the Magic School Bus theme yep. to make its point, yep. I figured it might be appropriate here. So since uh, appropriate here. Since you did <laughs> pause and we're trying to make a point about Magic School Bus, this is all I know about the Magic School Bus genre. <laughs> all right. So anyway, so the Magic okay, so so you didn't get as much fun out of Magic School Bus, uh, you know, uh, trailer as i did but obviously you enjoy the adam ruins everything version which i'm gonna have to include in the show notes as well so i guess we'll have to do that now so shall we shall we move on to like serious stuff now because this is a show about serious stuff typically. yes can't you tell we've been deathly serious about almost everything we talk we about. have we have and in fact you know maybe this is a good thing that we did Dora the explorer and the magic school bus because we really should lighten up the show a little tiny bit oh by the way the show is now in 23 different countries 23 different countries have listened well not the whole country but some people in 23 different countries have listened to our podcast Hey, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. And, you know, over and above talking about the trip in the plane, um, I spent last week actually in the Philippines in a couple of locations and it's a wonderful series of contrasts because here we are in 2019, you know, almost, you know, 20 years, a lot of, a lot of open source projects are now celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And we're starting to get into that level of maturity. Yep. And here I am going into the Philippines and I'm having to crank out my old, what is open source speeches to a significant part of the audience. I think people take for granted that open source is now established into the mainstream and that we can just take for granted that people will understand what it is and what its influence has been on mobile, on the internet, and so on. But I'm f- I was finding audiences that had never heard of it, that had never heard of what is this Linux and open source stuff. Part of it, I think, is because the Philippines had been under the wing of the U.S. for so long mm-hmm. that they hadn't gotten that kind of knack to try and be independent using open source in the way that a lot of other countries have been. You know, I was, you know, you go to places like Brazil and open source was a strategic, uh, was a strategic tool to be able to turn, you know, reduce uh, imports of open, of, of proprietary licenses and turn that in the case of Linux companies like Connectiva into an export business. So you had countries like Brazil that understood it and got it and used open source as a tool of, you know, if you would, independence from American computer companies. The Philippines never got that memo. Is it is it also possible that in the Philippines, the uh, the information technology infrastructure just wasn't there? No, that's no, that's, no. Not, that's not the case. That's it's not an case. interesting. It's an interesting contrast. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm asking the question legitimately no, no, because I'm no, confused. but 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 to but to be compared to the countries around it. Mm-hmm. Right, you have countries like Vietnam and 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 Taiwan and and uh, and uh, Thailand and and Malaysia and around. And no, I'd say the IT infrastructure was very well built out, but it was all built out on Windows. Right. 
Right. And what I mean to say is they didn't get the open source memo until Duarte became the head of the government not too long ago and has started tacking himself away from the U.S. and towards other countries. Right. And all of a sudden, what used to be an approach that was lockstep with U.S. interests is now being, you know, they're now taking a broader look and, hey, there's this open source tool that may give us a little bit of of economic independence. And now it's starting to be looked at. So, so I, I, I take it this was a trip, this, this was an LPI trip that you did? You yes, took there? it was an okay. LPI trip. So there I was trying to promote, you know, open source education, open source careers right. and so on. And in, in, in much of the places where I've been talking, I've been able to take the, the importance of open source almost as a given when you see about its influence, you know, of how open source rules the cloud, open source rules mobile and so on and so forth. That can't be taken for granted everywhere. There were, and, and, and the, the Philippine trip was a wake up call and saying, we can't just assume that everyone has already gotten this memo. Uh, and, and the, and, you know, when you have to, to go to somebody, okay, uh, reach into your pocket and take out your Linux device and, to, to, to a good chunk of the population, that's news. Well, to a good chunk of the population, even around here, to be perfectly honest, I mean, it, there, you know, I, I, I do think that there is enough, you know, uh, of the ubiquitous nature of Linux and open source and the tools and the things that we're using at the moment, that for a lot of people, this is disappearing. I mean, it doesn't, I understand what you're saying there, but I don't know that that's strictly a thing in the Philippines. I think there's a whole generation that's coming along at the moment that doesn't even think in terms of open source. But I don't mean just in the populace. I mean, even within the IT community. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So within the IT community, if you're having to spend time around people that are teachers and mentors of other people working with computers and and, and I talk to them and I show them, hey, there's this little cigarette box computer called an, a Raspberry Pi that's capable of doing most of what that, that, that energy-sucking, high-cost PC is doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's places there, you know, I visited one place that, you know, they had a whole bunch of, of donated PCs and they were very happy with them. And then, I, you know, a little bit of talking and saying, well, they got donated the, 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 the equipment, but what about the electricity that these 15 computers yes. are going to yes. suck down? You know, compare that to the USB brick uh, power supply that is in a Raspberry Pi. You know, you know one's, one's measured in the hundreds of watts and one's in the single digits. So this is, this is where your comment about I got to start traveling with a Raspberry Pi as a prop came from. Yes. Yes. And, and I think I'm going to try and have one because, you know, just showing the picture is one thing, but to be able to say, look at this, this has all the power of a PC, enough power that it's actually got two HDMI ports on it to support two monitors. Right. And what you should do at that point, obviously, is make sure that it's got its little micro SD card set up with some version of Linux so that you can actually just boot this thing. Of course. You know, it's, it's one thing to show the little thing and say, hey, this is a whole computer. It's another thing to boot it up, right? Oh, no, no. It would be a working model. Give me a yeah. keyboard and screen and I'll be able to show you immediately how much you can do with it. Right. Oh, uh, oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so I immediately had my, my uh, associates and, and friends in the Philippines now uh, desperately shopping around for where to get a Raspberry Pi in the Philippines so they can show it off themselves. 
right? And then of course there are even smaller ones that are out there. I mean, the pie is kind of the, the one that has captured most people's imaginations, but there are even smaller computers out there. Well, we can have another conversation, another episode about this whole ecosystem of, of yeah. Raspberry Pi clones. And oh God, yeah, and there are tons of well, even even within the Raspberry Pis, well, the zero. like the Pi Zero, you know, yeah. that's which is half the size on in terms of the board that it's on. Exactly, and so uh, you know, as a teaching tool and as as, yeah. as a way to do uh, connectivity and accessibility to people that didn't have it before. You know, in the Philippines, like in many countries like this, uh, there are active efforts ongoing right now to bring more of the population uh, to, uh, there's, more, there's more of the population that they're trying to bring online. And in order to do that at a reasonable cost, having these little computers, whether it's pies or Chromebooks or whatever, is still a fraction of the cost of having to go to regular PCs and it's all running open source. You know, actually, you're bringing up an interesting point here, which, which, um, which I occasionally, I occasionally think about, and I occasionally, uh, it's one of my little soapboxes, which is the idea that it's great that we've got all this old stuff out there. Like one of the things that gets touted as a plus for Linux, of course, is the idea: hey, I can run it on all these old computers. You know, I can take these old systems and run it and load up Linux on it, and isn't it wonderful? And I do not mean to disparage the organizations like uh, our friend Charles works at the computer recycling center, um, you know, in Kitchener near where I live. Mm -hmm. um, I, I truly admire the work that they do out there. And, uh, but, you know, taking all these old systems, as you just said, they're big, they're hot. They take, a <coughs> excuse me, they're big, they're hot. They take a lot of power. And uh, it's one of those things that you have to consider. Like for instance, we, um, a modern dishwasher. I mean, I, I, I know it sounds like a weird comparison, but I bring up the dishwasher all the time when I have these conversations because a modern dishwasher is actually more efficient just to throw in a few dishes than it is for you to actually, you know, fill up a sink with water and wash your dishes by hand. It's a better idea. It's more energy efficient, uses up less water, uses up, you know, less power. It's, it's actually cheaper in the long run. And of course, modern computers, you know, um, including some of these little teeny tiny computers, use up almost no energy and no power. It is, it is a worthy consideration when you're taking a look at all these old systems to just say, you know, maybe there's another way. It, it, it is, but I mean, you know, there's a, there's a human desire to try and recycle when possible. And, and not only that, but I've got, a, I've got a situation where I had an old IBM ThinkPad uh, that had a Pentium running it, and it had just the most wonderful screen and the most wonderful keyboard. And, and, and it was a shame to basically say, well, the innards of the machine just couldn't keep up with the beauty of the screen and the keyboard, but such is life. And yeah. as you say, you know, here you are with this uh, cigarette box, under $50 computer that's probably faster than all of those things and takes less electricity and, and, and. Uh, but the one difference is it's not running Windows in order to do it and doesn't need Windows in order to do it. And then, uh, then you get into the bigger conversation about, well, you know, what can you run on it? And, and uh, you know, is LibreOffice as good as Microsoft Office? And then the answer is moot because people are being able to use cloud applications that make the platform irrelevant. Yeah. Oh, I, I heard a beep. I heard a beep. No, that's that's a different chat. Sorry. Uh, this this morning I was having a conversation before before we started our conversation. I was chatting with uh, with my accountant, interestingly enough, and we were talking about uh, the kinds of computers that people need. 
And uh, he talked about a friend of mine who, uh, who, who shall remain nameless on this channel at the moment, who had a computer that was running Linux. And uh, he was basically saying, what's the easiest way for me to take Linux off this thing and run Windows? And I'm, I mean, I, I've been accused of being a Linux true believer more than once. Uh, you know, uh, not, not quite, not quite um, religious, but, uh, but certainly a true believer. And it is one of those things where I understand that there are environments in which you need a particular tool or a particular set of tools that may not be available for one or other uh, operating system environments. Um, but for the most part, little teeny tiny computers with minimal power, and I count Chromebooks in that, by the way, um, are all that people need. I mean, if you just want to watch videos on YouTube, you know, cat videos and, and um, you know, and hang out with, like chat with family and share pictures on Facebook, you do not need a big honking horsepower of a PC sitting on your desk. Right. And in fact, in 2019, uh, you know, almost 2020 here, it's almost ridiculous to consider that people are still buying these things. I think the world is getting separated into consumer devices and creating devices. And the creating devices, I think, are still going to be PCs because they need to do the video editing uh, obviously, and, obviously. and the document creation and so on. Uh, but the, consumer de the consuming devices, you know, it can be Android tablets, it can be Chromebooks, it can be anything like that. They can be little phones. Uh, they can be Chromecasts that will take, you know, yes. allow you to consume stuff and put it out to a screen of any size. So, well, even, even in terms of things like gaming right now, uh, well, we discussed uh, last show, I think it was, I, I discussed with you the, uh, my, my Stadia, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, the Google Stadia that I picked up. Um, I've had, I've played it, I've probably spent like five or six hours playing it so far since uh, we last had the show. And um, right now I'm playing uh, Tomb Raider, the ultimate edition or whatever it's called, uh, the definitive edition. And it is pretty damn spectacular on a screen, regardless of the fact that the PC, the power is not being derived from the PC. The whole thing is being pushed through over the network. And that in itself is pretty impressive because you said that we're getting into two different classes, which is basically you've got people that are basically just, you know, consuming multimedia on the internet. And then you've got people that are creating stuff. And I, I would include things, I would include people like programmers oh, absolutely. Or, um, or people doing video and audio work and stuff. Absolutely. Like that. You're not going to be compiling apps on an Android device. Precisely, precisely. But for even <laughs> gaming, even gaming, I kind of wonder if, we are seeing the beginning of the end of the gaming PC because it's not like Google Stadia is the only company that's doing this at the moment. There are several other companies that are getting into the whole cloud gaming thing. So even there, it's just a matter of a relatively low power device with a decent speed. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think Stadia is anything groundbreaking there. I mean, uh, no, I, I didn't say it was. I didn't say it was. I'm PlayStation saying, yeah. and Nintendo have already been there, you know, making the move to having yes. things streaming and online and so on. True, uh, true. My, but my on son, a PC, for people to do it on their computers, on their desktop computers, that's actually where things are a little bit yeah. different because not everybody always, not everybody wants to, you know, uh, go and fire up the gaming console to play a game, even if it does give them access to the cloud gaming stuff. It'd be nice. Like right now, I mean, you and I are kind of old school in the sense that you probably go and watch TV on your television, right? 
I watch it like on my television, but the television doesn't have cable and it doesn't have sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, no, no. But I mean, you've got like a big screen that you play on right. you, that, you know, you watch your shows right. on and so forth. I know plenty of people who watch TV on their computers. You know, that's how they consume Netflix. That's how they consume Hulu and whatever else. They're just watching it on their computers. So for those people, all of a sudden, the computer, this thing with the screen, becomes their doorway into everything that's internet, including everything that's entertainment, including everything that's gaming. So I think that this is where things are changing. I, I think it's all just a sliding scale. I mean, in that sense, to me, you've got sort of the Roku and Chromecast dumb devices at the bottom that plug into the HDMI. Then at that yes. point, the step, the next step above that is going to be your Xboxes and Playstations. And the next step above that is your full-blown PCs. I just see that as a continuum where the screen itself is just an output device. Yes. And then you have various levels of computing, uh, either dedicated or general purpose, that then feed into that. Right, so the same PC that's capable of running the streaming games is also capable of doing software development, is also capable of doing all sorts of other things. Whereas the dedicated devices like an Xbox or, or uh, uh, you know, my son's got a Nintendo Switch and one of its features is that it can play through large devices as well. Right, right. And so, you know, you take, you've got your little handheld thing, you take it home, you plug it in and all of a sudden it's big screen galore. Yep. Uh, you know, those, those uh, you know, as we look at the Christmas season here and people are, are, are gleefully buying these 55 inch and larger monolithic screens, something's feeding into those. And it might, in some cases, it might be PCs. Hey, shall we move on to something else? Sure. All right. Here's the big thing. Here, here's the next thing. I understand that you wish to register a complaint. Eh, just I, I I'm seeing I'm seeing a sort of new generation of complaints about the world of open source and a new generation of complaints. There was something in sourceforge.net where somebody's talking about, you know, the future of open source is up for grabs or some kind of crap like that. Yep, yep. And it's essentially a rant we've talked about before that you have things like the open core coalition and you have, you have organizations that are saying, well, pure open source as it's cut out right now is not sufficient. I want the ability to restrict how open source, how my code can be used. So you have some companies that are saying, well, we want to limit its use to nonprofits and, and others that are saying, I don't want my code to be used for military purposes or what yep. have you. And you know, the answer is, this is all wonderful stuff. Uh, you know, more power to the developers to be able to have the power, the authority over how their code gets used. Just don't call it open source and don't call it a threat to open source because this is all new stuff happening. It's not a threat to the stuff that's already in place. And so as all this new stuff comes along and it's trying to, you know, extend and push the boundaries. And in this case, actually, you know, gets beyond the boundaries of open source by saying, you know, it's not enough that, uh, you know, you have the right to use it, but I have the right, I as the developer have the right to dictate that you can you only use it in a certain way. That goes, as we've spoken about before, beyond the actual definition of open source. You know, when you, you, you said that you were talking about PCs being a continuum, okay? Yeah. I, I kind of feel like this is really just the same thing. And the idea that we say, oh, you know, uh, this whole structure, the, the structure of open source, the, 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 uh, the promise of open source is in danger here. 
coders yeah. have always had the opportunity to decide how their stuff gets used. And I don't know that this is all that different anymore, other than the fact that, you know, we're creating different layers. So this, this continuum, the spectrum is, is just having more light bars inserted along the way so that we can decide how and what things get used for. It is, but, but the thing that I think is important is some of those layers now go, go beyond the definition of what is open source. Yeah, but, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, 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 it's, it's, it's not a complaint. Yeah. Call it, call, it, call it whatever you want. Call it dual licensing, which we've had forever. Exactly. Call it juju source. I mean, right. But <laughs> no, but the point is, it's important not to call something that's not open source and call it open source. Yes. And it's I, and I, and I agree. And I agree with that. Just like it's, it's like this whole thing. Uh, for instance, when I'm doing videos, I will use uh, public domain images off the internet. And it is amazing. And of course, even with this, even with this podcast, uh, I've used music that was, um, you know, that I got, which was public domain music, you know, to play with the intro and to play with transitions and stuff like that. But there are plenty of sites that you can go to that tell you that it's free. Okay. But free doesn't mean you get to use it in any way that you want. And I guess this is where we have to draw that line here in open source as well. It's like, there's free, but then there's free, and then yes. there's public domain, which is something entirely different again. And maybe in a future episode, we can do a little bit of a, let's not call it a deep dive, but let's say an intermediate dive into the variations in the world of creative commons, which is where yeah. the music and the creative works. Well, comes. that, and that one gets extremely complicated. You know, when you get into attribution, no attribution, attribution, but you can make changes. And what's the, and what's the, changes. and what's the most popular clause of creative commons by far? I don't know. No commercial use. Ah, interesting. Which is something that doesn't exist in the open source world. Of course, because that's that's with a whole four freedoms thing. And it's the biggest it for whatever it, you want. It, it's the biggest difference between the open source world and the Creative Commons world is the existence of that clause, which is the most popular clause within Creative Commons and doesn't exist in the world of open source. Right. And, and we can maybe get deeper into that in a later episode. But I yeah, mean, let, let's. Let's yeah, do let's that another on. time because I, I, I want to touch on I want to touch on another thing that's bugging you. Last last episode, I won't say last week, but last episode, you went on this mini rant about .org, and then I sent you a link where somebody said this is all overblown, nothing to see here, folks, move along. And then you said, take it over. Well, this is getting far bigger than anyone anticipated. This is getting bigger than the world of internet governance. It's gotten way outside the bubble. You now start to see articles in the New York Times. You now start to see it on the BBC. The BBC is reporting, you know, that the Girl Scouts of America are now against .org. Yeah, and but we covered the Girl Scouts last right. time. I mean, but they... it's gone beyond that. It's now in the New York Times. It's now ah. in a publication called The Hill, which is targeted at American politicians. Yes you now have this thing having a life of its own. And so I'm just saying, keep a watch on this thing. It's getting a life of its own. It's now not just a financial transaction. This is now becoming a meme, um, you know, and, and this is not outside the realm of possibility that you're going to see American politicians and start to go after the Internet Society, which is an easy target and is showing itself to be the victim of greed over public service. And yep. at a time when politicians are looking for targets, 
whether it's Zuckerberg or Bezos or whatever, you basically have the internet society being a wonderfully easy target and their people don't have the ability to fall back on being, you know, one percenters. <laughs> Keep an eye open for this. I will. I think it's got a life of its own and it's definitely blown up in everyone's face. And I think the only way right now, ISOC, the internet society, has to backtrack on this simply as a matter of face saving. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the propriety of the deal now, I don't even think is relevant. There is now, is ISOC going to be relevant going forward or is it going to be seen as just another greedy internet company? Watch yeah. this space. We shall watch this space. I have a minor open source complaint before I go to the, what I think, what I think is the coolest bit of news that has shown up in ages and you sort of went, ah, meh, but it's the coolest news. But my complaint, my, my uh, Linux complaint is this. There was yet another thing that was posted about, um, you know, Linux vulnerable to VPN hijacking and all this other sort of stuff. And it was posted as though it was a Linux problem, which always bugs the hell out of me when it really doesn't actually have anything to do with Linux other than the fact that, a lot of VPNs are built on and, and, you know, using Linux, it's the software that actually runs on it, but somehow it's a flaw with Linux itself. Yeah. If I, if I hear you correctly, I think this is like the VPN clients for every platform, not just Linux. And yet it's being painted as a Linux thing. And I don't, that is correct. That and, and of course, <clears throat> so excuse me. And, and of course the other thing that just drives me really crazy about this is they paint this picture of, Here's how this vulnerability would have to be exploited. You would have to go like into a foreign coffee shop somewhere run by some nefarious organization that set up their own VPN with this, with this particular software so that it could then take over your connection because you thought they were a legitimate business and so on and so on. And I don't know, that sort of stuff just drives me crazy. A, because it has nothing to do with Linux and B, because you're setting up a scenario which is so incredibly unlikely, okay, that it's just, it's like fun well, to make a fun. Well, it's, it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. I mean, you consider how VPNs, impossible. but no, what, what I'm saying is when you think of how VPNs are being used, you could see that scenario where somebody goes into a weird coffee shop to try and make a connection and then whatever. Now, what I'm, I'm agreeing with you in the sense that this is being pumped as a Linux problem when in fact it isn't. And I just see this as a sort of, okay, you're saying that Linux is more secure than Windows? Okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, have a look. This one's a vulnerability in Linux too. You're not immune either. And I'm thinking this is just a sort of knee-jerk reaction from people that are tired of hearing that Linux is more secure than Windows. That's right. And they're looking for any excuse whatsoever to blame it, even if what it comes down to is, it's, it's I mean... I, I often compare things to like uh, everyday objects like cars and, uh, and as you just uh, saw, dishwashers. Um, but it's like saying, see, Fords are vulnerable to flat tires when they're using this particular brand of, uh, I, I don't know, what, what's, a, what's a brand of tire? Bridgestone. I'm just making stuff up here. Oh, Continentals you know, are what I have. But. Wh whatever, whatever. This particular brand of tires is on Fords. Therefore, Fords are bad because this tire has a particular flaw in it. It's ridiculous. It's like, you know, 
blaming the entire car for an external component that somebody could then add later on, like in the case of VPN software. Anyway, that's that's my beef. That's the sort of thing that drives me crazy when I read about it. Okay, you accommodated my rants. No do you worries. Know what the best story of the week was. Do you know what the best story of the week was? Go on. Okay, the best story of the week was about a. Uh, it had to do with uh, the idea of DNA evidence and DNA testing, and it's actually in courts. And the whole idea, there was a police officer who was working for. Uh, he worked in forensics at a sheriff's office in. Uh, uh, where where is it? Where was the sheriff's? It doesn't really matter. But he was worrying about that. Chris Long, an American who had a bone marrow transplant to save his life okay four years ago and because he worked in forensics at the sheriff's office they thought hey it would be very interesting to track and see what happened to your body over the course of four years in terms of things like dna evidence for instance and dna evidence is seen as practically indisputable in court okay it used to be that uh, eyewitness testimony until we found out that basically eyewitness testimony, especially if you wait like six months, eight months, a year or something like that is next to worthless. But in, DNA evidence has been kind of sacrosanct in all of this. And this guy, as it turns out, is what's called a chimera, which is he's an individual whose body, whose characteristics, whose internal characteristics are that of another creature. Chimera comes from a, a mythical beast that's part of all these different animals. And in his case, what happens is over the course of four years, okay, bit by bit, his own DNA in practically every single part of his body was replaced by his German donor, by the DNA from his German donor, right down to his semen, which is really, to me, insanely, incredibly fascinating. Because at that point, if this guy were to commit a crime and leave DNA at the scene of the crime, then the person would be implicated would be his German bone marrow donor. Well, it wouldn't be identical. It would still have some remnants of his original. It would have bits and pieces of both, wouldn't it? No, that's just it. That's what makes this so fascinating is in the places, in practically every part of his body, his DNA has been replaced in those places. There, there, are a few, uh, part, there are a few parts of his body, like, like his hair, for instance, which still has remnants of his own DNA. But if you look at almost every other part of his body, it is entirely the other person's DNA. This brings to mind some fascinating ideas. One of them is the whole idea of, in situations like that, especially in the case of donors, you know, like, again, a bone marrow, trans, bone marrow transplant mm -hmm. or or a blood donor or something like that. The idea that you can integrate someone else's DNA into your body. And what's cool about that is it's not like he looks like a different person or acts like a different person, but he has this other person's DNA. And that is what would implicate someone at the scene of a crime. And I find that just insanely fascinating. Well, I, the whole thing about, about DNA tracing and everything like that, I've always, I've always found it suspect. Uh, you know, the, the same uh, episode called Adam's Ruins Everything, of which, uh, you know, they had that magic school bus segment earlier yes. on. Uh, he did a whole thing about the unreliability of most forensic work, including DNA work. And so I've always found the whole thing suspect. And here as we go into the uh, holiday season, and one of the hot purchases is uh, 
is is ancestry.com or some of these other things where yeah i've had it i've done 20 i've done 23 and me i find it fascinating yeah and and so you get everyone to contribute their own dna into this wonderful database that they're now collecting of people's dna uh, which I actually might have some medical benefit if you. Oh, I, I support it, and I I support it completely. But just the whole thing about coming back and saying, well, you're this percent Norwegian and this percent Samoan, and you're this whatever, and uh, I, look to a certain extent, we're all mutts, right? Of There's course. not a whole lot of purebreds out there, and those that do probably have blood pro- blood infusion problems. Uh, <laughs> hey, three three point eight percent Neanderthal over here. Yeah, I think we all have a bit of that. No, not all of us, as it turns out. There are some essentially pure humans out on the planet, like pure Homo sapiens. I mean, actually, Neanderthals were humans, but um, but Homo sapiens only those people that are that are like truly of African descent. Um, uh, no, seriously, seriously, like you know, Africans are basically 100%, like, and I'm talking not somebody who emigrated to Africa, you know, but, uh, but native Africans are 100% homo sapiens. Almost all Europeans, like, in, in fact, most of the rest of the world are a mishmash of different types of hominid species, including Neanderthals. And some of us have more Neanderthal DNA than others. Uh, like, to me, to me, the whole concept of where you came from and what you did is, is more entertaining than anything else. Like, for instance, I discovered that um, with my 23andMe setup, I'm actually more British and Irish than I am French, which amuses me to no end. I love that. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. I mean, I know where my grandparents came from. I know where, you know, I know where their ancestry is, but I'm sure there's enough... You know, there's enough crossbreeding around. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, to a certain extent, yes, it's entertaining. Uh, to the to the extent that it helps, it helps white supremacists realize that they may not be as pure white as they think themselves and have to hate <laughs> themselves. Um, so you know, there's we, the, we give that two thumbs up. Yes. So there's 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 some interesting components of that. Uh, Outside of but outside of pure entertainment value, I really wonder what the value of this is. There well, I the medical for me, benefit. For me, the value is medical more yes. than anything else. Yeah, but as you say, the police forensics and that kind of thing, I think is is really suspect, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see where that goes. But uh, all right, well, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take you to the next level on this particular story. Uh oh. Okay. Because this is part of what makes this so fascinating to me, okay? First of all, the idea that you can have basically almost all of your DNA replaced, okay, and is, is cool enough in itself because, of course, the guy still looks like the guy, okay, except that if you do DNA testing on him, he's now this German dude, okay? So that in itself is fascinating. But here's the other thing that's fascinating to me, okay, is he is the same personality. His consciousness is still him. Like the, mind you, you know, I, as much as our consciousness evolves on a day-to-day basis. So what that says to me is that the structure on which your personality and your consciousness is built has absolutely, has very little to do with your DNA. 
in his case, it, what it comes down to is it's all those connections up there. The connections that have been created over time are what define what he is. It's all those neurons, you know, interacting with all the other neurons, even if they've all been replaced. So this is a nature versus nurture part of the argument. It is. It's fascinating because, well, it's not even nature versus nurture in this case, because what it is is all that stuff gets imprinted over time, whether it's nature or nurture, it gets imprinted over time into that, that neuronal map that, you know, that, that neural map that exists, that, that is his brain. Okay. And so the personality and the consciousness is his, regardless of all these other things. And what that says to me, here we go. I'm making the big leap here. Are you ready? Are you ready? Um, no, but go on anyway. Is that there's nothing special about this thing that we've got up here in terms of what defines personality, what defines intelligence, what defines consciousness. Because if you could recreate all those connections in a computer or you could recreate it on some other substrate other than than you know uh, the, the biological substrate that we've got sitting up there, you'd wind up with the same person. That's kind of what that says because we've got the same person here despite the fact that genetically he's now another person. You know, that just blows my little mind. I love it. So have you finished your screenplay yet? <laughs> no, I have not, but I love this. I just love this. I, I have been thinking about this since I read the story and it continues to blow my little mind. I would love, I'm going to put the link obviously in the show notes. I would love to, if there's somebody out there listening to this thing, I would love to hear your comments on this one because I'm, I am like completely and utterly blown away by this idea. And I just love it on so many levels. One of them obviously is the whole DNA evidence forensic aspect of it. The other one is the idea that that his physical, the physical aspects, like the, the, the recognizable physical aspects of his body have not changed despite a complete replacement. And remember, we've got all these science fiction movies where somebody's DNA gets replaced with alien DNA, right? Get it? I mean, you've yeah. seen these shows. And it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter a goddamn bit if this, is, if this is an accurate representation of what happens under those circumstances. Because if the connections are recreated, then so what? You know, it's the same thing. So uh, I, I just love this. I am, I am like over the moon on this one. I love it. Okay. Well, um, I'll be eager to hear your updates on this. All right. So are we done? I think we're done. All right. I think we're done. Have a great whatever the heck it is that you're doing next. Are you on, are you on the road again? No, this is it for me for the rest of the year at least. Wow. Wow. That's, that's good. Your family can, you know, can uh, get to know you again. It'll be great. I get to be a homebody and maybe actually, you know, set myself back to a single time zone. Read a book, play a video game. Yes. Video games, video games. Books. Or games. books. Oh, right. well, we'll talk later on, but you got me to buy an Oculus. And so Woo! up on that. All right, cool. Hey, we're going to have to set you up with like uh with like a, you know, a VR chat or, or, a, or a Altspace VR or something like that. And maybe at some point in some far future, not too far, I'm assuming, we can do a podcast in VR. Boy. Would that be totally cool? Well, in the meantime, we've got now a couple of weeks to figure out what we're going to do for our decade end review, if that is indeed what we're going to do. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll think about that. We'll see if anything happens on that front. You got Bye, it. Evan. Bye, Marcel. See you in a couple of weeks. You betcha. Hi, 
This is Marcel, after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, enemies. Just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast and your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.